Hey everyone, uh, welcome to Between the Soup. It's the show where friends become closer friends and the show where I talk to people about their ideas and expertise so that way you can learn from their unique experiences. I'm your host, Gilbert, and today we're joined by Kristen Abels. Kristen is a graduate of Grand Canyon University with a master's degree in clinical mental health counseling and is currently working as a licensed therapist for Bayless. Kristen also holds the Between the Soup records for the most re-recordings. So you've been here not only once but twice to record uh, episodes and both times I... I kind of failed you. Well, I actually like I blame I blame my setup for failing you, but I guess that's an extension of me. So and I was too far um, away from the mic, so I contributed. Yeah, it's all your fault. Actually. I know. I take full responsibility. Um, but at any rate, you're back third time. Uh, and so in this episode, I'm going to be talking to Kristen about psychology, her experience as a counselor, and the uplifting benefits that counseling can bring to your well-being. Welcome back. Welcome to Between the Soup. Thank you so much. <laughs> it's so good to be here. It is. Wow. Yeah. It is. <laughs> what uh, What made you decide to, you know, come, I guess, come back and do it for a third time? Like, it seemed like after the first two times, you were just like, fuck this guy. <laughs> he's, like, he's the absolute worst. Um, I think it's because I didn't realize it's been a full year since we recorded. So I think I'm yeah. like, okay, it's been enough time where I'm yeah, like, you know old. what? We all, I know, honestly. Um, we got, we got shit together. So I'm like, you know what? Maybe the audio has figured itself out oh and yeah here we are also it's like a club like i i shouldn't be as good friend of you as i am without being on your pod you know true yeah yeah because because like basically everybody else in our friend group has been uh interviewed now with jenny too yeah. i guess lenny's next huh <laughs> oh shit yeah has brooke uh, done it no yeah and brooke yeah. uh brooke wants to um but she's obviously not here yeah that's her bad Recipes. <laughs> we lost Brooke last year. It was really we hard lost for us. Her, we lost her to California. I'm sorry. Right. Um, so for you, um, kind of like with what I mentioned in the introduction, like, uh, you know, t- probably not to your surprise, I have uh, questions sort of similar to the first couple times that you were on here about your experience with counseling. And I think actually the first couple of times when you were on here, you were just barely starting. I think that kind of like serendipitously works out um, because like now I can actually ask you about that experience in particular versus just like only like why are you interested in psychology? Like, yeah, I still have yeah. questions about like why you're interested in psychology, but um, okay. So I have a number of questions about um, your experience with counseling, um, interest in psychology, and more questions about counseling so i guess just to start off um what got you interested in moving into the mental health field in the first place i started Uh, with psychology in my undergrad because i was interested in it It took a mm -hmm. few years for me to declare my major because i started with community college before i transferred to university Mm -hmm. um but i just like most people in psychology just found it interesting Mm -hmm. i had a psych class at high school I didn't pay attention at all, but I still liked it. So I took more classes and I liked it even more. And then I graduated and I'm like, well, shit, I got to do something about this. <laughs> and the next course so you, of wait, action So you counseling. graduated like undergrad in psychology? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then from there, I was just like, I, I mean, a lot of people go to counseling afterwards. So I kind of just like shrugged and was like, I'll see what's it about. I don't know how it worked. I feel like I just like tripped into something that really worked out, but I really do enjoy it. I find it fulfilling. I mean, the master's degree was a pain in the ass because it was like four years, but 
um, I'm happy to be where I'm at. Mm-hmm. So why did, uh, I mean, I guess you kind of answered this question in that explanation too, but like why did counseling seem like a good fit compared to like other careers in psych or like even going for, you know, if you're going to lean into the counseling thing, why not go for, or like try to go for a doctorate? Oh my God. Um, so a lot, so psych is so vague in general and that's kind of the problem. So a lot mm-hmm. of times if you look up like what you can do with just an undergrad psych degree, we're talking about Absolutely like, nothing. It's little. <laughs> um, a lot of times HR might come up, yeah. which is, I mean, saying psychology and HR is related is a pretty big stretch. So that's what we're working <laughs> with. Um, there's behavioral health technicians. And that's for a master's degree, in my opinion, that's kind of low level in terms of the effort that you need to put into to things versus um, what you actually get out of it. Like you don't get paid very well. From my understanding, I haven't actually done it. Don't ask me to describe what they do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't have an interest currently in getting a doctorate because I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to pay for Fair it. Enough. I don't want to go through schooling. At some point in the future, if somebody offers to pay for it for me, I might. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, the only reason I might want to um, get into a doctorate is if I want to pursue uh, more of the uh, research side of things. I have a, a big interest in neuropsychology, so I could see myself wanting to pursue that. Um, and having a doctorate could be really beneficial for receiving those types of grants and actually being able to get into those circles to do that research. Mm-hmm. Um, and also certain things like officially conducting assessments require a doctorate and certain things like that. Um, I don't think that I have an interest in that per se, but um, if I were to get a doctorate, it'd probably be for one of those reasons, mm-hmm. which I don't want to. Um, okay, so uh, counseling seemed like a good fit compared to others just because it was like more interesting and like, um, you know, a little bit more payoff. Um, so I guess going back to sort of like what interests you in psychology in the first place, so you were saying that like, you know, the more that you learned about it, the more um that you were interested so like what were some of your favorite parts about it that kind of like sparked like okay yeah this just does seem like a good fit for me uh yeah definitely the neuropsychology class that i had in my undergraduate degree was really really interesting um to me and also recognizing how the brain can physically changes depending on your lifestyle mm-hmm. and the decisions that you make is just totally mind-blowing the fact that it can actually physically change your chemistry Mm -hmm. neuroplasticity was like one of the most interesting things that i'd like to pursue if i were to get that high but um i also really liked uh what was it it was kind of like a social or cultural psychology class that i had Mm -hmm. Uh, there's just one activity that i still remember where we were given different um different prompts we were split into groups and our prompt was okay so here is this group of people. Um, it's not overcrowded. You're, you have tons of resources. You have a mountain range protecting you. You have water um, on the other side. So you have a lot of resources and ability to grow and function. How would this culture grow? What would it be like? How would they interact? How would their attitudes be? And then there are other people who had different situations. You know, they're in a desolate desert and, you know, they don't have a lot of resources, but it's overpopulated and there aren't a lot of resources or way to receive kind of currency. So how would that culture grow and expand? 
And so all these different groups had these different prompts like that. And then we were to kind of discuss and process through. And then at the end, the teacher was like, so these are actually based off of the United States or Saudi Arabia or other places like that that have um, cliche resources or environments, even though a lot of places are dynamic. That's kind of the idea of it. And most of us were actually right with how we presented, whether it's a... um, an individualistic or collectivist society and Mm -hmm. how people use the resources or currencies and how reproduction and, you know, roles were defined. And it was really, really cool to be able to dive into that and recognize that the, that human psyche can be predicted. So you said that the, you know, the process of getting there, like getting, I suppose, licensed and going through graduate school was kind of challenging. What was that process actually, actually like, and what were some of, uh, Actually, no, let's, let's start there and then I'll, I'll go into... There are different expectations in every single state um, and different terms for every single state. I think there's a total of 48 possible terms for types of therapists um, across the United States, which is really absurd. Um, but in Arizona, you have to graduate with your master's degree. It's still legal to be able to practice once you graduate with your master's, but you do need a licensed associate counselor, an LAC license before you practice um, consistently. I think it's a six-month, maybe one-year buffer period um, in order for you to be able to legally practice in Arizona. So that was kind of annoying to go through that whole um, application process. Obviously, it's it's thorough, making sure I've taken all the necessary requirement classes, making sure I have the internship hours to support that I am qualified to do this. And so that was kind of a pain, but the master's program was about just under three years of classes and then a full year of internship. And so that was also a pain because most masters are, you know, two years long versus a full bachelor's length. So it wasn't difficult in terms of the actual classes day to day. Um, It was annoying because we switched to online after a while through the pandemic. And so that was kind of more difficult to absorb. Um, the information or care about the information. <laughs> yeah. Um, but um, it was just the length of it that was just exhausting. I was also working at GCU at the time for a free master's. It was worth it, but it was a horrible job. Yeah. Very psychologically draining, ironically. Um, and then doing school at the same time, I just like had no energy or desire to like do anything at the time. Mm-hmm. So it was mainly just my own, you know, personal baggage that was the most difficult through the master's program. Gotcha. So what were some of your favorite parts about the program? Um, I liked the fact that it was a cohort program. So our cohort probably started with about 15 people. And then we, our core group graduated with like eight or less or something like that. So we were all pretty tight, but... Yeah, we would like go to happy hours and like hang out a little bit after. And most of us haven't really talked a lot since we graduated, but I'm still friends like with Carly. I still talk with a a few other people in the cohort too. And um, so it's nice to be able to have those kind of connections afterwards. So it was cool to have it be a cohort situation, especially when it was in person because it was like four hour classes like once a week. Mm -hmm. Um, So we were in for the long haul. Um, But... I liked how it was flexible. Again, it was only one class at a time. This is not an advertisement for GCU, by the way. Um, it was only one class at a time, um, and I was working full-time at, at the time as well, so it was quite manageable given that situation. So I liked how it was 
at the normal course as if you were taking a full, you know, three or four classes at once without having to be overwhelming. After you graduated and you got into like your, your first job and you started actually practicing as you are now, like what were some of like your initial thoughts or ideas and like what were you um, beginning to specialize in? In my internship, I kind of stumbled into focusing on more of an eating disorder uh, focus just because um, I wasn't not interested in it and other people, I guess, just didn't have the availability or interest to take them. Mm -hmm. So I ended up having a, a handful of those and my focus for my internship and that transferred over to my actual career job as well because I, I do like working with that kind of population. It is tricky, but I feel like it's a really cool balance between challenging and rewarding. Um, so that's been a huge focus of mine. I've also have had a small handful of specific um, diagnoses. Like one that I've had multiple times for some reason is emetophobia, which is the fear of throwing up. Um, to the extent that it affects your <laughs> your face was funny. Um, but yeah, it's everybody doesn't like throw up. That's not that's not news, but it's the extent where a lot of times they might go agoraphobic because they don't want to leave their house because they're nervous about germs. Um, you know, spring and winter are horrible because it's flu season, so it can shut people's lives down. They don't eat out or they don't eat certain things or if they have children, God forbid, they're germ monsters and, you know, they limit their lives and feel guilty about that. Um, so, uh, I, so sometimes those things will randomly come up. Um, where I'll work with that um, to a degree. Um, also, I've worked with OCD a little bit here and there. And just like with every other counselor under the sun, anxiety and depression are big ones too. Because, mm -hmm. you know. <laughs> Does that like bother you that that's like a, a common thing? Like, or that's like, it feels like it's a given, especially like as, as somebody who like, you know, is like looking for a therapist and like you're just kind of seeing what like people specialize in. It's like, Okay, like, yeah, everybody says anxiety, depression. Does that, like, bother you or is it, like, eh, Not at all. Better? I think it would bother me if they didn't because it mm. it's such a... A lot of times um, there's... It's almost expected to have a lot of... Um, what is it? I can't think of the word now. It's escaped me. But basically, it's where you have multiple um, diagnoses or concerns. Um, it's not uncommon to uh, have... Comorbid. Comorbid. That's the one. Thank you. My brain could not connect with that. It's kind of expected that they're going to be qualified in anxiety and depression. And if they're not, that I'm I'm seeing like kind of red flags. Like, mm -hmm. why? Yeah, that that would give me like um, probably more like PhD esque vibes, where it's like somebody's just super specialized in one thing that's not anxiety and depression, and like. And if that not. specialty exists, then chances are um, their caseload will be filled with that specialty. Mm -hmm. Like, for example, if I committed hardcore to just eating disorders, I guarantee you my caseload could be filled with that because there's not as many clinicians out there that focus on it compared to anxiety and depression. Mm -hmm. um, but I think even if you don't advertise it as a, a focus, if that's not something that you're qualified in um, conducting, then that to me is what the red flag is because it's, I mean, I don't know if there's a less callous way to say it, but it's also kind of like, um, 
I don't want to say easier, um, but more intuitive, I guess, mm-hmm. given um, our educational background to address, whereas specialties are sometimes counterintuitive to address those types of things. Mm-hmm. Um, Interesting. So anxiety and depression are typically baselines, I think, and then building from there is where the specialties come in. All right. Can you can you walk me through how a typical session might go um, with you or with somebody going to therapy in general, just in case there are any listeners who have never been to therapy. Yeah. I think that's like a, that's a big question for a lot of people, especially myself, like having before having never gone to therapy, I was always interested in like, what is this going to be like? Yeah. And I think that this is going to be unhelpful, but it's a really important point. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's a really important question to ask, but it does. It depends. I've definitely had, I, a few clients, especially one in particular, who would ask at the beginning of when we were meeting, you know, what to expect, which is totally normal. But then to this day, I've been seeing him for almost a year now, but to this day, he'll he'll check in and say, are we doing this right? Am I talking about what we need to talk about? And still checking in, he hmm. does have anxiety, um, spoiler alert. Um, so I think that that might contribute. Um, but there is definitely a lot of natural anxiety and curiosity in what to expect. But um, every clinician is different. I prefer a more structured ap- approach just because I think it makes it a little bit more um, focused for the, um, the treatment process. And also it puts less pressure on the clients. Um, but a lot of times some counselors will prefer a more passive approach where they'll put the ball in your, your court and say, hey, what do you want to talk about today? Um, and um, that's that can be an option too. So it's never hurtful to think about what you want to focus on throughout the session, especially if you know that your therapist is going to prefer those types of questions. Um, for the very first session, and this is different everywhere, but you'll probably, regardless, you'll probably have some kind of intake session with your therapist. The very first time you see a new therapist, they'll go through an intake process with you where they'll ask you questions as if it was just kind of a general doctor's wellness exam, asking you questions about your history, not just with therapy, but just in general, what you're wanting to be there for. And it's more of a checking boxes driven kind of session. Um, And then in the future, you'll go over treatment goals together. And these are focuses that you're wanting to do throughout therapy. If it's for anxiety, then it'll be a goal around anxiety, of course, and so forth. Mm -hmm. Um, So again, it does have a wide variety. There's no wrong way to do therapy, but I think because it can be so intimidating going into therapy for the first time, or even with the new therapist, um, we want some kind of expectations, but um, I think trusting that it's truly just a, a conversation and that you're there for you and that you don't need to be performative or to be prepared for therapy by any means, um, I think is going to be the really big focus. Yeah. Nice. I like that a lot. And the, I think it's interesting what you said about like the, the client that you have been seeing who is just, who's like, you know, checking in constantly being like, am I doing this right? I feel like that's super interesting because of like having some like preconceived notion maybe of like, okay, I'm, we're going to, we're going to hit this like major epiphany and then everything's just kind of going to solve itself or right. um, just like, you know, it's like, you know, once we like um, sort of unclog this like part of the drain and all the water falls through, then it's like, Oh, everything's fine from there. Um, which might not be like a, a completely like realistic um, way of going about it. Um, but right. I think the reason why I think that's interesting um, is because 
it sort of reminded me of um they're not reminded me but it, it it brought up a question in my mind that i didn't have written down which i think is super important uh but i guess it kind of relates to this next question which is uh what are just some obstacles that people might have going into therapy and um so that that example in combination with like oh yeah it kind of just depends on your therapist um it brings up the question of like how to navigate the obstacle of finding a therapist and also if it doesn't work out like between you and your therapist how do you break up with them (laughs) not not necessarily breaking up with them but like i suppose just like not taking it in a way where it's like okay this this therapist doesn't work so not all therapists aren't gonna work oh yeah that's a good one um and this is you're asking a therapist so i'm gonna ask answer as if sure yeah i'm a therapist yeah okay Um, (laughs) but that is that's an example of, uh, uh, oh my God. Jesus. <laughs> I can't help you out with this I, one either. Yeah, it's um, it's cognitive. Not dissonance. No. It's like an irrational response. Well, my brain really you, just, you yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> I don't know either. CBT, cognitive, distortion. Ah. God damn. Um, so my therapist's response is that it is a cognitive distortion to assume that because one therapist doesn't work, all of them will work. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a natural thing. Uh, something called heuristics is kind of a mental shortcut that our brains do in order to survive and thrive. I know that you're familiar with it. Um, I, yeah, I, when you described the book to me before, in my mind, I'm like, there's no way that heuristics isn't mentioned. And if it's not, it's not written correctly. <laughs> it's like the, the basis for heuristic research. Mm. Mm-hmm. Okay, fine. And does Jenny still have the book? I think so, yeah. Okay. You should she, bully her to give it to you. Oh, yeah. She's not reading it. I'll pick it up. <laughs> <laughs> it was sitting on her I, her like table. I'm like, did Gilbert recommend that to you? And she's like, oh, yeah, he <laughs> he gave me that book. I'm like, it's funny because I didn't huh. read it, the one that she gave me. Either. Yeah, I know. I was thinking, I'm like, wait, didn't he give you back your books? And she's like, yep. I'm like, oh, okay. So you're just exchanging yeah. them. <laughs> It's a book exchange. We don't actually read, read it. I'm trying to get back into reading for sure because I, I keep track of certain things that I do every day and I have reading as one of one of the KPIs. Oh, my um, God. And um, it's I, I literally don't think I've read a book since like December. It's embarrassing. It, yeah, kind of. <laughs> well, do you typically prefer nonfiction? Yeah, I like reading psychology nonfiction, but I feel like the more psych books I read, it's like, okay, you know, the, this other author said the same thing, or, yeah. which is like, you know, it's nice. Cause it's like, okay, it's like affirming that, you know, you're on the, you're getting like the right information or you're learning, um, you know, uh, credible research. Uh, but it's like, I'm not learning anything new. Right. Uh, and that's kind of what I, what I like. Um, let's see. Okay. Reading. Okay. I have, so this is like, the habit tracker whatever so those are the last two times i read those weren't really books those are like articles or like my journal (laughs) (laughs) i think this is uh so far the best you should see the nap one so ever since we talked about like naps and like keeping track of naps i've been doing that this is super interesting oh my god that is more than holy shit it's uh so the the nap score or the percentage is about 61 percent. so like more than like every two days. I 60% of the days I'm taking a nap. I cannot remember the last time I took a nap. <laughs> I cannot. Even when I'm absolutely exhausted, I don't. 
So exercise is about 66%. Um, writing is about 30%. Uh, masturbation is about 50%. Wow, nice and even. Uh, the nap is uh, 60 and then I just started keeping track of just regular sex. You're going to put this in the pot, right? <laughs> what is the pot? What is sex at? Uh, 20. Okay. It's just with one person now. Web. Oh. Yeah. So that was really off topic. Um, we were talking about cognitive distortions. Oh, shit. In picking a therapist. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> wow. Look at that memory. Um, yeah, it bothers me if, and Nicole hates this about me, but it bothers me when I can't trace back, like, you know, mm. what we were talking about in the first place or what, like, brought on a conversation. Why does it bother Nicole? Because she's just like, it, it, like it doesn't have to mm. like you just you could just talk for the sake of talking which i you know she's right right but also sometimes there's a point that you didn't get to right so. yeah and there's always that for me <laughs> so. i think if you heard me and my best friend talk you would have a stroke probably we just like layer just like totally <laughs> random nonsense constantly but that's fun that's it fun. is fun it's fun, to, it's fun to have that because yeah. you just you're just kind of just shooting the shit and it it really doesn't matter Sometimes days later, I'm like, oh, yeah, did I tell you about that? And it's like, no, because we spiraled or something wildly <laughs> different. And you're like, well. Yeah. So. Oh, cognitive distortions. Yes. Still- well, so, okay. So that that was, I was talking about, you know, your, your stories kind of reminded me of like how people do that, like with their therapists. So like for you, what would be like an approach um, that you would recommend for people, you know, going into therapy who, you know, are like might be anxious about the therapist that they're picking and you know if it doesn't if it's not really working out for them like what are some alternatives that they can take i always like to encourage uh communication especially confrontation with your therapist because therapy therapeutic relationships are intended to model other relationships with friendships sometimes even with partners obviously there's very very different boundaries uh, for what that would entail But I think that that's why we try to model it because those boundaries exist. You don't need me in your day-to-day life. You shouldn't, you don't, I don't exist in your day-to-day life and I shouldn't. Um, But that's the the convenience of it. Let's say you're confrontational and me as a therapist, I am immature and I don't have the ability to respond well to you saying, hey, I don't like how you did this last session. First of all, I hope that never happens, but therapists are human. We can be reactive again. I, I really excited when people are confrontational with me, but I'm also a divisive human being by nature. So it might be a little bit different, but I really do encourage that confrontation because worst case scenario, it blows up in your face. All of your fears are realized and then you don't see them again. They're not like a friend or a partner where you have um, as much stake in the day-to-day life of that kind of relationship. So you get to practice being confrontational and having those types of conversations with the therapist, especially because you have a genuine concern about something that's happened. So I'll always try to encourage people to have even a breakup conversation if they feel comfortable. Um, In the past, I haven't. So I'm not here to say that it's like an easy thing to do, but it is important to try to communicate that kind of stuff, not just for you, but also even for the therapist so that they can be aware that maybe the way that they communicated something rubbed them the wrong way. Mm. Um, But if that's the case, Trying a new therapist can be in, intimidating, but um, I, I think that bringing up 
upfront saying, hey, last time um, I felt like the therapist wasn't engaging and I would love for more activities or more structure or something different. And hopefully the therapist will say like, yeah, absolutely. I hear what you're saying. We'll try to work with that. Or if they're like, hey, I work with this type of thing instead. Um, so that's not really my style. Then you know that maybe not, it's not the right fit. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, yeah, it, it still is sometimes hurtful or frustrating to find out the therapist. Sometimes they've been working for, for years um, ends badly. So that can always be a really difficult transition to go through. Um, but I think with the context of the vulnerability of therapy, it can make, make it a little bit more um, explosive if something could, I, I guess, more internally explosive if things don't work out. Um, but yeah, like you said, it doesn't mean that all therapists aren't for you or going to react the same way. Yeah. And you actually brought up something else too that I forgot to, to write down, but like, I suppose another obstacle might for someone might be just finding a therapist in the first place. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Uh, I know for, for me, that was just like a huge deterrent for not going sooner just because there's so many different like layers. And if you're new, you're not sure like which, like avenue is like the actual right one or what channels you should go through or anything like that or it's like oh okay if i pick someone like if it's expensive is you know is this going to be worth it kind right. of like what we were talking about earlier with like the the equipment thing so it's oh, like yeah. do, you, do you cheap out and like so if you cheap out is it is it gonna is anything are you actually gonna get like problems solved are you gonna actually be able to work through the things you need to or if you like if you spend a ton of money on a therapist and you don't stick with it, then like, is that just a sink of, of money? Um, yeah. I don't know. What are your, what are your thoughts about finding a therapist? Yeah. Finding a therapist is super hard. I think that's what deterred me from doing it as well. Um, finding my own therapist. The thing that I think I recommend most is, um, just referrals from friends that, you know, have done it. Um, some therapists will be uncomfortable with working with friends, especially depending how, on how close you are. Mm -hmm. But hopefully if the, you're not going to therapist therapy for that friend, um, that you re received the referral from, hopefully that won't be an issue. Mm -hmm. Um, but I see my, I see my current therapist from a referral from somebody in that was in my counseling program. Um, not Carly, but um, and so far I really like her. Um, I told her up front, like, Hey, I'm a therapist. I'm, I am nervous that I'm going to try to like figure out how you're doing this. Yeah. And then like criticize as a result or like think like, oh no, like we're, we're not doing inner trial today. Absolutely not. <laughs> or, you know, something like that. Um, and so, so she's aware of that and she's receptive of that understanding. And sometimes she'll, I mean, we've only met a handful of times, but sometimes she's challenging of certain things and sometimes she's totally understanding and doesn't focus on things. Um, but I definitely trust my, friends opinions of therapists more than um something that i find randomly but if you don't really know anybody who has an accessible therapist for you uh, psychology today is a really good resource where you can look up a psych uh, a counselor in your area and you can specify if you want them to be a specific gender you can specify your type of insurance if they have sliding scale if you're paying out of pocket um you can search based off of the concerns or specialties that you want, um, as well as certain modalities, if you're into it enough where you are aware of modalities and the ones that you like. Uh, so it has a lot of different options for you to kind of peruse and to figure out what you like the most. <laughs> <laughs> I saw that cough coming before <laughs> it exploded. Are you okay? I'm fine. Yeah. 
the bubbles. <laughs> no, I just I, I wrong, wrong wrong pipe. Oh, that sucks. Yeah. <laughs> I have. A, I was listening though. <laughs> don't take this the wrong way. I have a swallowing issue where I often drink water and like. Every 100th time I try to swallow water, I choke, <laughs> which is far more than one would expect uh-huh. to occur. <laughs> it's, it makes me so upset. Like, I don't know why my... Uh. No one. Absolutely no one. <laughs> Kristen. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say, absolutely no one. Kristen, I have a swallowing problem. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, I apparently do too. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was still all in the, under the same question about, um, obstacles that some people might have going into therapy. So we talked about, um, you know, matching with your therapist, finding a new one. Um, what are uh, some other obstacles that you think, uh, clients might face? Definitely cost, especially if you're seeing a therapist weekly, and let's say that your therapist is only $20 because of some sliding scale or insurance or whatever reason. Mm-hmm. That's super, super cheap. Yeah. $20. That's, why, that's literally why I haven't gone because mine, mine used to be 20 and now it's like, it's like a hundred. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's, but even, even 20, even, I mean, that's cheap. Yeah. And 20 every single week Hell is, yeah. you know, $80 a month. Like that's not nothing. Like that's mm-hmm. a lot. And then all of a sudden you're um you know it, your insurance change and my deduct or my copay is 60 um and i i see my therapist bi-weekly but still 120 dollars a month for bi-weekly i mean that's that's still a lot mm-hmm. and i mean i have a partner if he's seeing a therapist at 60 dollars a week even bi-weekly or 60 dollars a session bi-weekly that's 240 a month and again that's not nothing mm-hmm. um so taking those things into account can be kind of stressful um that's definitely a barrier for some people um, if you have state insurance, um, get on, get in therapy ASAP because it's free. And why would you not? Um, so if you're on access, that's what I recommend. But sometimes finances can be a big barrier. Um, also accessibility. Um, pre before the pandemic, a lot of people would consider it to be deal breakers for it to be virtual because there were a lot of um, mental barriers around that. But because it's become a lot more um, accessible and acceptable. Um, I think that people are starting to become more um, receptive of that idea. I am exclusively virtual. Most of my company is at this point um, in response to the pandemic. And so I haven't really had a lot of conversations with people about concerns for virtual because that's the expectation. But sometimes that's a thing, especially if you live in rural areas where you don't have you know, a therapist in your area and you need to do a virtual thing. Mm-hmm. A lot of times... Um, if it is virtual, there's barriers in addition to that. A lot of my clients have kids in the background and sometimes they don't have people to watch them while they're in therapy and that can be an issue. Um, sometimes um, religion or cultural beliefs or parental upbringing can contribute to that as well where they think mental health is a myth or a choice or um, they don't want the stigma of going to therapy. You're crazy if you're going to therapy um that's still active and very much alive yeah there's a lot of barriers yikes okay so (laughs) what um what are some barriers for you as a therapist uh specifically so i i so okay so the the, a better a better way of saying it is uh how does work like working remotely change the dynamic of a session for, for you and how is that like an obstacle 
sometimes it can be a benefit. Like we can, you know, screen share and go over some th- things or there's like a, like a whiteboard function for Zoom that because we use Zoom um, that we can do where we can kind of draw things up. So it's kind of nice to be able to interact in that way sometimes. Um, but there, of course, are some more barriers, I'd say, than pros. Um, well, I don't know about more than pros, but some barriers are like, you know, having kids in the background or taking care of things. Um, there's, there's kids, there's pets, things like that kind of get in the way. There's also concern for confidentiality, especially working with teenagers and, you know, while I share a wall with my brother or my mom or something like that, and they're concerned that they might overhear. So there's some things that they just need to be kind of cautious of or not say altogether. Um, body language isn't always uh, a total thing that I can see. Um, it's also relevant for me to recognize, um, uh, health details in terms of sometimes weight or how they walk or how they position themselves. Cause that kind of clues me into how they, to, th- to things about th- their lives that could be relevant for me to be aware of. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, um, I have to kind of either piece it together from other factors or straight up ask them if they have. Uh, medical concerns or barriers or or mobility concerns. I also work with a lot of chronic illness clients just by coincidence. Um, I probably wouldn't see them if it was in person because of barriers around transportation. Um, But sometimes that can be an issue because I don't totally understand to what extent mobility issues occur for them. Um, So there are are some barriers, but overall positive, I'd say, for virtual. Mm Mm-hmm. And so what are some of the other obstacles that you face as a therapist yourself? What's what, what's like challenging about being a therapist? Yes, there you go. There is absolutely the stigma still. Um, just like there's stigma for going to therapists, there's stigma being a therapist. I'd say like my parents are pretty traditionalist. What's the stigma of being a therapist? Um, that it's just not sometimes respected or appreciative or people don't really know what they do. Um, mm, like Okay, yeah. Especially like, oh, she's just a talk therapist. Um, I remember having a conversation with my sister a little while ago about her partner having um, kind of cognitive issues with like day-to-day functioning with like memory and, um, you know, executing tasks like cleaning and cooking and day-to-day stuff like that that he should really be doing. Um, and so I, you know, recommended seeing a therapist and then she kind of like scoffs and said like, like he doesn't like a talk therapist can't do anything for him. And I think that that was really indicative of some of the stigma that still exists. Like she's really accepting and open. I think that she's a lot more sober minded about that kind of movement compared to, um, other people. But even then, I don't think that she understands the purpose that therapists can provide for other people. Mm-hmm. Um, even if it is a cognitive, physical, medical issue, there are still um, a lot of things that the therapist can do to help individuals just restructure their lives, create some awareness around things, process through things like the difficulties of now being in a situation where you can't cognitively function like you used to. Um, I think that there's a lot of things that therapists can do. And so some of the most challenging things is to be flexible according to what those needs are and trying to figure out what that is. So my favorite th- thing mm-hmm. about being a therapist is like the problem solving aspect of it, like being more of an investigator mm-hmm. um, and to recognize different patterns and how it might apply and putting them together collaboratively with my clients. And that can be difficult um, because it's different for seriously everybody. 
as it mm-hmm. should be. Um, but it's really exciting of a challenge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and even with what you're saying about like, okay, you you investigate the issue and you kind of figure out what it was. If it's not within, I suppose, your credential power to solve it, then there's always the option of referring them out to a different provider. Yeah, I've had multiple conversations that say like, frankly, like, hey, I want to help you. I don't think I can. Mm-hmm. I think that, you know, you should do this. Or I can't help you if you don't do this first. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of conversations, usually not great conversations that I've had to have placing that kind of boundary. But any good therapist will tell you if they can or can't help you. I also think that it's, um, it's interesting what you said about, I guess, just like the stigma of therapy in general. I definitely see that with some of my guy friends. Uh mm-hmm. Because for whatever reason, like, you know, getting mental health help is like still stigmatized or seen as like weak or unhelpful or like unmasculine for whatever reason. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I always thought that was interesting, especially like coming from the Marine Corps mm-hmm. where it's like, OK, you have to be mentally tough. So like I don't I don't need your help or I don't need anything like that. And there's just like absorbently high like suicide rates (laughs) and other mental health issues um yeah i don't know i just think i always think that's interesting i was thinking earlier today actually i don't know why maybe it was last night but uh about the even the difference um in genders and how we accept or expect even like affection or support from people like how a lot of times like i'm on reddit a lot just because that's typically what i browse Mm -hmm. um god help me um, but, uh, a lot of times the, so many people will say like, yeah, I'm a dude. Like if I get a hug in a week, I'm like so thankful or a month or a year or something, you know, <laughs> yeah. like any kind of like affection or support from people. A lot of times, especially with men is like mind boggling and rare for them, which is so horrible. Yep. And uh, yeah, again, especially with mental health, that's just another thing that's just like, yeah, well, it's support and you know, I don't need it. Or, you know, you're afraid of how it's going to come across, even if you do need it. And there's so there's so much baggage around it um, for men and women for different reasons, but especially for, for men and the receiving the support aspect of it. And but there's a it's weird how there's like the two sides to the coin situation, because on one hand, um, all all human beings, all people deserve support, affection, compliments, physical affection, all of those different types of things. But on the other side. Nobody owes somebody those type those things either. Mm-hmm. So I think some of the issues too with that is the caution to express compliments or physical affection from women anyway is the caution of like, okay, will I be leading him on or will it be suggestive if I do something like that? Because totally. of the traditional, you know, gender roles suggesting that, you know, it's very distinct. It's very separate. There is no blurred line. It's a very thick line that suggests, okay, men and women and even men and women's friendships are still settling in today's society um, because of the assumptions that we have. It's like, okay, well, if there's two different genders, that's, you know, a man and a woman, then the suggestion is romantic when mm-hmm. that's not, that's not the case. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you're talking about, you know, some of the challenges are like the stigma, but in spite of the stigma, there are a lot of benefits that come out of it. I think you listed a few, um, but I guess overall, like how do you see therapy benefiting your your 
your clients um, and how do you think it could benefit others who are just kind of like on the fence about going? I think that the answer ranges a lot in the best way that it, it depends um, on what you want therapy for. I think mm-hmm. also sometimes therapy can be beneficial identifying why. The client that I was talking about earlier that was really anxious and nervous about if he's doing okay in therapy and if he's doing, you know, if he's saying the right things and if we're talking about the right things. Um, he also didn't know why he was in therapy. He just kind of was recommended to it by friends and even they didn't have explanation. But one thing that was really cool that we were able to do was to identify exactly the core reason for why he probably is in therapy and why this core thing is starting to affect all these different areas of his life. Mm-hmm. Um, so to have somebody who is professionally trained to be able to investigate and identify these types of patterns and what these patterns suggest can be really, really beneficial, even though, you know, like, oh, I'm here for depression. And it's like, OK, why? Why? Mm-hmm. One of my favorite exercises to do is the chain of whys. I invented it. It's not a big deal. Um, <laughs> but taking the, this like idea or concept and asking why, why, why until you're at the very, very utmost core of that response. I mm-hmm. think it can be really revealing as like an independent even exercise of what maybe a psych, um, like a, a therapist would do for you. Again, obviously that's not like a professional thing. I probably express caution with that just because sometimes it can be difficult to either digest or identify the actual root cause for those types of things. But I think that revealing why you're in therapy is a big part of to go to therapy, mm-hmm. um, especially since there is no perfect way that everyone was raised or there's no perfect way that everyone functions. Um, and so identifying how your life could improve um, could be a collaborative thing that you and the therapist go through together. I think this kind of also goes with our previous conversation about judgments and being aware about certain things and the awareness really helps contribute to decision making. So sometimes when you you slow things down and you talk about it, this is why journaling is so helpful. But slowing things down and talking about it and recognizing it and coming face to face with your actual actions and decisions and the things that are going on in people's lives, that can be really illuminating for what changes need to be made. And again, a professional is really helpful to help facilitate that thought process and make sure it's relevant um, and doesn't get too off topic. But that can be also helpful to... Um, to recognize what are some ideas or takeaways that um weigh on you the more that you're in this profession i think the more that i receive people for like as they are mistakes and all the more it's easy for me to um accuse society and the way that we're raised with expectations i think one of the last times um we tried to record this podcast episode um we talked a little bit about um beauty standards and how it's totally an arbitrary expectation um and if you look at different points um in you know in in time different points in the world there is almost every single beauty standard under the sun um and it varies totally But yeah, society and culture is a really significant um, factor. And that's honestly the reason that I have a job focusing on eating disorders. Mm -hmm. It's it's what we um, what we've been taught to expect out of ourselves and the way that we look and present ourselves. And it's so ingrained to the effect that we're wanting to um, to almost kill ourselves and sometimes actually kill ourselves for the sake of presenting what we consider to be normally or 
um, attractively or to be accepted by mm-hmm. society. So the more that I work with people, the more it weighs on me how much it affects things. Even, I mean, a lot of times I work with families and parents, um, not like group therapy, but um, just taking those um, dynamics and roles into consideration because I'm a therapist um, and taking um, it into consideration that a lot of people I work with, they were raised by people who were alive, you know, a hundred years ago. And a hundred years ago looked very different from now. My client's mothers probably didn't work. That's probably the expectation. And um, a lot of these changes are what we're trying to unlearn. Again, like with gender roles and societal expectations. And I think that there's just a huge weight and burden around that. And the more that we become, um, I don't want to say independent to suggest separate or isolated from people, but um, just separating ourselves from the message that we've learned since we were really young, I think is really important. I think the important thing is that there are resources for you somewhere. Um, It's always like if you have heard of an intervention somewhere that you found useful, there's resources for you. Again, the community, um, social media driven thing where there's validation um, in, you know, what you're experiencing. There's resources out there. Um, 